Good morning. One of the hardest lessons for us to learn is that life is not fair. Amen? It's very likely, very likely, nearly 100% likely, that you will be taken advantage of, that you will be mistreated, that you will be hurt, maybe even very painfully in some way at some time in your life. And there are all kinds of ways that you will be mistreated in this world. A spouse may be unfaithful, a close friend may desert you or betray you. But in these verses, James deals with financial oppression and injustice. And there's lots of ways that can happen. Uh, You might buy a house from someone who doesn't tell you that there is serious water damage or serious structural problems. Uh, I know a man who had made, made a lot of money legitimately, but he was defrauded by an investment broker and lost everything. Others have been cheated out of everything by a business partner, someone that they trusted and worked for, someone that they worked with at one time. Some have been cheated through a divorce settlement. There are just all kinds of ways that people, that we might feel uh, financial oppression or injustice. Well, in this passage, James tells us about men and women who were laboring hard and long hours and being paid barely enough to live or not being paid at all or having their pay withheld and delayed. And this abuse was carried out by the rich. It was disgusting. It was sickening and unfair. And these Christian brothers, these Christian men and women are crying out to the Lord. They are crying out to the Lord of hosts about their mistreatment. Many of the brothers that James wrote to were apparently poor laborers. And they saw the rich men that they worked for who were not concerned about God, making big bucks, making massive amounts of wealth. The rich are abounding in grain and corn They're dressing in expensive clothes, amassing great amounts of silver and gold. And yet, even with all this wealth, they oppress the poor. They oppress the poor Christians working for them. Living in great luxury and extravagance themselves, they will not pay the laborers, the laborers who mowed their fields. Or they pay them as little as possible so that they can increase their own wealth even more and live in even more extreme self-indulgence. And without a doubt, some of these mistreated believers are struggling with the injustice of it all. So James comes on the scene here in James chapter 5 and speaks like an Old Testament prophet. And he speaks prophetically to the rich. And he issues a blistering warning to the ungodly rich. And he does it at least in part as a comfort to the godly brothers and sisters who are being grossly mistreated. It is like someone has sued you and taken your home and everything that you had and then God says, here is what I have to say to that person. 
Here is how I will deal with that person who has been so cruel to you. And you find it comforting because God says they will not get away with it. In Psalm 73, uh, Asaph said, I know that God is good. But I came close to stumbling when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. They are always carefree and increase in wealth. Surely I have kept my heart pure. Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure. When I tried to understand all of this, it was oppressive to me until I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their destiny. And what James is doing here is telling us the destiny of these oppressive, ungodly rich. In a sense, James is taking the oppressed brothers into the sanctuary of God and showing them the final destiny of those who oppress them. And he's saying, do not envy the rich who oppress you. Do not envy these men who withhold your pay. They will face the terrors of judgment. Do not think that God does not see what is being done to you. Wait for the Lord. And he will repay the wicked and reward the righteous. This blistering judgment against the godless rich is connected to James' message in the, to the brothers in verses 7 through 10. And that's the reason I included... Uh, verse 7 with this passage and actually all 7 through 10 really could, should be included with this but it's it's also a standalone passage that we really need to focus on uh, next Sunday too. But in in that passage James says in in, in light of of these, these rich people who oppress you he says, therefore be patient In the face of this suffering, therefore, brothers, be patient in the face of this suffering until the Lord's coming. If you are being severely wronged, be patient. The Lord is coming. And when he comes, he will righteously judge every person. He will vindicate the righteous. If you love God, he will bring a glorious end to your life story. Even if your present life circumstances are very miserable and full of injustice, the outcome of the Lord's dealing with the righteous is always good and always glorious. The end of the story is so good. And so the message really of this this passage is that life is unfair, but hold on, wait, the Lord is coming. He will make everything right. The king is coming. He will settle scores. He will repay the wicked. He will reward the righteous. God will deal with those who mistreat you and oppress you. The godly person will have a great outcome. So now let's dig into this verse by verse. It's just some incredibly important and very sobering things for us to see from this passage. This is not an easy passage. The wording in it is very strong. But let's look at it. Let's delve into it. Verse 1. Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries which are coming upon you. James is speaking to the rich, but as I said, he is also showing 
the oppressed brothers, the end of the rich. And he is saying, do not fret about the evil and the injustice of it all. Look at their end. Look at the end of those who have pursued riches and not God. Look at the end of those who have withheld your pay. Look at the end of those who have condemned and put to death the righteous. Their end, James says, is utter and complete misery. They will weep and howl for the miseries which are coming upon them. They will be abandoned by God to eternal punishment. James tells in a prophetic sense, speaking as a prophet, speaking prophetically, he tells the rich to weep and howl because of the terrors that will come upon them at the final judgment. He sees these rich, oppressive landowners going hardened and unrepentant right up to the judgment of God. This is a a frightening picture It is a frightening picture of the response of people who have not taken refuge in Christ for salvation. It is a frightening picture of the response of people at the day of judgment who do not know and who do not not take refuge in Jesus Christ. In that day, people will no longer be boastful and proud and self-sufficient. They will weep and howl in terror of the judgment coming upon them. It's sobering. Revelation 6.16 says, They called to the mountains and the rocks, Fall upon us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who can stand? Can you sense the, the terror, the fright in that as men without God see the coming of God's judgment and wrath? Verse 2, your riches have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded. The three status symbols of the wealth in that day were grain, clothes, and gold or silver. And again, again, I see, I, as I understand it, I see James speaking prophetically and he's looking ahead to the judgment and, the, and, and these wealthy oppressive landowners, and he says, your, gr- your corn and your grain that fills your barns have all rotted. Your fancy and expensive clothes have become moth-eaten. Your gold and silver has all corroded. Seeing these men at the judgment of God, all that these men treasured is seen as completely ruined, completely Worthless. Many years ago, uh, a singer by the name of Paul Stuckey, which I'm sure probably most of you have never heard of, uh, except just a few older ones here, uh, of the singing group Peter, Paul, and Mary. Uh, it was rumored and reported that he became a Christian, that he, that he got saved, and he, and he put out a, an album called Paul And that basically had Christian music on it. And one of, the, one of the songs on there that uh, really stood out to me was Meanings Will Change. Meanings will change as you learn to grow. And all that is known becomes suddenly old. And that which you had to last you to the end turns out to be just a passing friend. 
And would you spend your life away collecting great treasures so you'd be safe someday? And when you're old and when you're gray, meanings will change. Life's just that way. So don't you worry about your money, friend. Don't you worry about your fame. It's all a conspiracy. It's all part of a game. And there's more, but you get the idea. Meanings will change. And certainly that's what James is saying to these rich. Meanings will change. Your wealth will all have rotted. Your fancy clothes will all have become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver will all have corroded. Verse 3. And their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat or consume your flesh like fire. He says you will stand before God someday with your corroded silver and gold, but without the treasure of salvation. Your corroded wealth will be evidence that you lived apart from God. Your corroded wealth will be evidence that you live, lived for it and not for God. And it will consume your flesh like fire. I believe James is saying your riches and your love for them and the mistreatment of others in order to get more and more and more will be the very things that cause you to be cast into the fires of hell. These are, these are terrifying images of eternal judgment upon these men. Jesus also described going into hell as going into the unquenchable fire. And that's what James, that's the destiny that James describes for these men. Their flesh is consumed like fire. James goes on, it is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. That phrase may be confusing to some just because it's been 2,000 years. And yet James was saying it is in the last days. He's addressing men in the first century. But here's the way I understand this, and I I believe this is, is right. After the first coming of Christ, the next event in God's timetable of salvation is the second coming of Christ. So the last days means that entire period of time from the first coming of Christ and that whole period of time that leads up to the second coming of Christ and to the final judgment. So we are living in the last days in the sense that we are ready to be, we're to be always ready for the coming of the Lord. We are, we are living in the last days in, the, in that the very next event on God's timetable is the coming of Christ and the judgment of the world. But these rich men, instead of preparing to stand before God, they are playing games just to see how rich they can get. Their interest is in making a profit only instead of repenting and seeking salvation. Verse 4, Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your field, who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud which has been withheld by you are crying out against you and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. 
As I said earlier, the poor saints working in the fields of these rich men have been grossly mistreated. They are paid very little. They are really paid a starvation wage, just barely enough to live, to eat and to live. And what wages they do make, it, it, it sounds like the, the, uh, the, the rich landowners withhold. They, don't, they, they'll, 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 they won't even pay them the little bit that they're supposed to be paid. Or they delay the payment in order to save themselves more money. It was typical in that culture that the workers were paid at the end of the day, at the end of each day for each day's work. Often they had no, sal- no, no savings and they lived just for their bread day to day. And so if their wages are withheld or kept back by fraud, as James says, the worker and his family might not even be able to eat. They could actually be to a point of starvation. And so these working poor, the men who mowed the fields, the harvesters, it says, they have been crying out to God in their desperation. They've been crying out, God, see us in our needs. See us in this injustice. God, see this mistreatment that we are enduring. See the way that we are treated. See the way that these rich men fatten their own pockets and leave next to nothing for us. And so indirectly, God is telling the poor that he has heard their prayers about their oppression. He is saying, God has not been blind to your financial hardship. God has listened to your cries. And he is telling the rich also, I have heard the cries of those that you, who ha, that you have oppressed. I have heard their cries. Their cries, their prayers have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. And I will take vengeance on you for how you have mistreated the poor, your, the laborers who mowed your fields. Verse 5, you have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. One version says you have lived a life of wanton pleasure. You have fattened your hearts in the day of slaughter. One version, uh, more modern paraphrase, says you think you were piling up wealth. What you have piled up is judgment. Before farm animals, I'm not a farmer, don't know much about farming, but I think that before farm animals are taken to the slaughter, are sold, you know, they're, they're, they're fattened up to put on the most pounds possible to make the highest price possible. Um, and so the animal enjoys this extra feed, all this good food, not knowing that it is nearing the time of its own slaughter, its own death. And James says to the rich man, you are like that. You have added to your luxury just before you are eternally condemned. Verse 6. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. In this final uh, blistering judgment against the rich, in this final pronouncement against the ungodly and uncaring rich, James calls them murderers. Some think he may be referring to the wealthy Jewish leaders who condemned Christ to death. Or he may be using condemn and the words condemn and murder in a more figurative sense to describe the heartless 
and uncaring treatment of the people who work for them. Or it may be that some of these rich actually at times so overworked and so overworked and so underpaid these poor laborers out in the hot sun all day long working many hours, they may have so overworked and so underpaid these people that some of them actually died. And so he calls them murderers, those who have condemned and put to death or murdered the righteous person. Either way, God is saying to the rich, your judgment is just because you've condemned and put to death the righteous man. Now I think this verse also shows something very important, very, very important for us to see. It shows us just how unfair and unjust things can become sometimes for the righteous man or woman. Maybe even for you. Injustice in this life can be extreme. What did James just talk about? He talked about the righteous person, the good and righteous person being condemned and put to death. That is how unfair things can sometimes be, sometimes things have been in this world. And we can feel that injustice. It can be. It can be even to the point of of death. And you read much in church history and you see how often the unjust treatment of the righteous did lead to their condemnation and death. Even for Christ, our example, Christ committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. Yet he was insulted, beaten, mocked, and crucified. You may secretly think, Sure, I can put up with injustice just like everybody. But what I am going through is so unfair. What I am going through is so unjust. I cannot endure it. That is not true and it is not how God wants you to think. Look at the severity of of the mistreatment of these righteous people. Condemned. And murder to the point of death. And again, I say life can be very unfair. But even if you are condemned and put to, get, put to death, James said, Wait, brothers, be patient in this suffering. Be patient and wait for the coming of the Lord. Which is what he, which, which is what he exactly what he tells us here in verse 7. Therefore, brothers, be patient. Be patient in these sufferings until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains. You also be patient under your sufferings. Strengthen your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. That's the answer. That is the answer. So when we are mistreated and dealt with unfairly or taken advantage of, what is the ultimate solution? Are we to rebel? Are we to hate? Are we to take revenge? James said, be patient until the Lord comes. I'm not saying there's nothing you can do to seek to straighten out uh, injustices in your life. 
But for the most part, it will have to wait for the coming of the Lord. We can become bitter over these things, or we can remind ourselves, as James does, that the Lord is coming. The coming of the Lord is at hand, and all these things will be taken care of. He will deal with the oppressors. He will be, deal with the, the, the evil and the unjust man. He will deal with all the things and the people that need to be dealt with. Verse 10 says kind of the same thing. Brothers, as an example of patience in the face of suffering. And I, I, I love that, that, that phrase. As an example in, of patience, which is what he's just called us to, to wait and be patient, wait for the Lord. As an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets. We count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealing with the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. And so what James is saying, when, when others take advantage of you, even if it causes you to suffer, keep following Jesus. Keep following the Lord. Just keep on. Wait for His coming. Like the farmer has to wait for the crop to come up. Like the prophets had to endure such mistreatment. And they had to wait for the Lord to vindicate them. Like Job had to wait through his sufferings until his sufferings were over. We too are to be patient in the face of injustice and of suffering. That is... That is the answer. That's the answer to all the unfair things that people do to you. You know, you've, you've, been, you've been looking for that answer for a long time. You've been saying, you know, how do I deal with this? What am I supposed to do? You've been wondering, how do I handle this? This is how. Wait. Be patient for the coming of the Lord. He will make everything right. Jesus said... Your reward is at the resurrection of the righteous. He, do, he didn't say it will be at the end of this week or at the end of 2016. He said, your reward will come at the resurrection of the righteous. Amen? There is a reward for doing things God's way in this life. I totally believe that. We, you know, we teach that here. But the primary reward for those who do good and bear up under suffering, the primary reward is at the coming of the Lord. Peter said, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory. And you know what our problem is? We look for our reward early. We want our reward too soon. When the chief shepherd appears, that's when you're going to get taken care of. That's when things are going to be made right. And unless you believe this, you will waste so much of your life trying to make sense out of life's unfairness and disappointments. Unless you believe what God says about eternity, unless you believe what God says about your reward coming at the resurrection of the righteous, you will waste much of your life trying to right all the wrongs that have been perpetrated against you. And it's a waste of time.
All right, I'd like to close by sharing, I think I have six applications, that, and they, are, they, they, are, they vary widely. Let me just put it that way, because there's so much dealt with in this passage. Number one, do not be stingy or mistreat other people in any way to protect or increase your own financial interest. First, First Timothy 5.17 says, instruct, the, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly supplies us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Uh, generosity is to mark all of us, especially those who have an abundance. Number two, pay people what they are worth and don't cheat them out of it. One of the main charges against the rich in this passage is that they do not pay people fairly. They defraud people out of what they are owed. 1 Timothy 5.17 says, The laborer is worthy of his wages. If you have people who work for you, Don't try to work them down to the very lowest penny you can possibly pay them. And I know probably most of your reaction is, well, I don't have anybody that works for me. Well, what about waitresses? What about babysitters? What about people that you might hire to do a fix-up job around your house? What about companies that provide services for you? You know, how we pay people is a part of our testimony. I work in the, in the construction world, and I, I know many contra- subcontractors, laborers, construction workers, they don't want to go to work for individual homeowners because they know it is very, very likely that getting paid will be a hassle. And they don't know always if they'll get paid or not. They don't know if their wages will be withheld or they'll drag out payment. And as Christians, we should not do that. Boy, unless there's some very good reason to hold up pay, payment for, some, for a job that something isn't really right. We need to be really careful about just this human tendency to, to, to defraud people out of their pay or delay their, their payment. Deuteronomy 24, 14, and 15 says, You shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy. You shall give him his wages each day before sunset. Because he is poor and he is counting on it. Pretty straightforward, right? You shall give him his wages each day before sunset because he is poor and he is counting on it. Jeremiah twenty two thirteen. And you think about all the, the 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 sins and the wickedness of Israel, the people of God that Jeremiah uh, spoke against. But he said in Jeremiah twenty two thirteen, woe to him who uses his neighbor's services without pay and does not give him his wages. You know, we think about a lot of things being sin, but we we may be unaware of just how much God is against being stingy or not paying people enough for what they do or unjustly withholding from people. Number three. Concern yourselves with being rich toward God. God blesses some with wealth in this life, 
But our concern should be on building wealth for eternal life. I'm going to read a passage from Luke, which, which I think Jesus makes this so, so clear, and it's just a passage we need to hear every once in a while. Verse uh, Luke 12, 15 through 21. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Then Jesus told a story about a man who kept building larger barns to store all his grain and goods, and he said to himself, Self, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Then Jesus said, So is the man who stores up treasure for himself, but is not rich toward God. You know, it's, it's, it's good to plan. It's, it's good to save. I appreciate what Brian Gilbert is doing in, in the financial peace study. But we need to be totally conscious that our big task, our goal in life is to store up reward in heaven. We need to be totally conscious that we are building wealth for eternity. And we store up reward by by serving the Lord and doing good to all men, especially to God's people. You know, I think one of the reasons to be in to, engage, to be engaged in church, to be engaged in a family, to be engaged with other believers is to build up heavenly reward by serving one another, praying one, for one another, encouraging one another, serving one another. Look for ways to serve others, to bless others, so that you may become rich toward God. Or as, as, as Paul put it uh, so so beautifully and succinctly, I can't say it any, any better than he said in that passage that I read in First, First Timothy 5. He said, be rich in good deeds. Be rich in good deeds. That's, that's, that's the main, the, our main asset that we need to be concerned about. Number four. If you are aware of mistreatment by someone in your life, choose right here right now, this morning, to look to the Lord and His coming as the main solution to your problem. Choose to look to the Lord to fix things. Choose to hope in the outcome that the Lord Himself will bring. You know, Psalm 37, 7. That Psalm 37 is a great verse, or great chapter, to just memorize on this. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way and because of Him who carries out wicked schemes. Evil doers will be cut off. The Lord will bring forth your righteousness like the noonday sun. Make a choice. Make a commitment this morning that you are going to look to the Lord and His coming as the main solution to your problems. And as I said earlier, no matter who has been unfair to you, no matter how you've been hurt or mistreated, God is the one who is writing our stories. And I I have been so impressed that 
you know, the outcome of the Lord's dealings is, is good. I mean, that's what James says, but just that the outcome of, of your story will be good and glorious because God is in it. If you love God, if you love God, the outcome of your story will be wonderful. I mean, just you look at how God dealt with, he gave us examples of Joseph and Job and others just, just, to, just to, to burn that truth into our thinking. Number five, prayers to God about others, about those who have hurt you or been unjust to you may seem to go unanswered, but they are not. God has heard your cries during those times when you have been or perhaps presently are being mistreated. It says, your, eye, your cries have reached the ears of the Lord. Just, just as the cries of these laborers, these, these men, men and women perhaps who were mowing the fields out in, out in the heat of day and their pay was withheld and it says that their cries reached the Lord of hosts. Your cries have reached the ears of the Lord just as those men and women's cries did. God has heard, heard their prayers as, as James says and he will hear your prayers as well. And then last a very sobering question I want, I want to end, end on. Are you ready for the day of judgment? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? Have you sought salvation in Christ? Do you really know where you stand with God this morning? Do you know that if you were to stand before God, you, you would not have to stand in in, in terror and weeping and howling in terror of the coming judgment? Do you know that you could stand faultless before the throne in Jesus Christ? Have you sought out refuge in Jesus Christ for your salvation? I'm telling you, this, this picture of judgment in this passage of these godless rich is not pretty. It's, it's, really, it's, it's a ter- terrifying picture. And you don't want to be, I don't want to be, in that situation. I don't want anyone here in this room hearing this message to ever end up in that situation. So are you going through life just just uh, going to work, making money, unprepared for the Lord's coming? Or are you ready? Are you ready for the coming of the Lord? And if you're not, I, I pray that that one person, maybe a, a child, a young person, an older person, maybe someone that everybody thinks knows the Lord, but you know in your heart that you, that you don't. I pray that this morning would be the day that you would heed uh, this uh, call to salvation. Let's pray. Father, this is a, a strong message, and may we have ears to hear Uh, May our hearts be opened to receive what you have for us through the power of your Spirit. Lord, I pray with all my heart that the words that have been spoken this morning would be spirit and life to people, that they would be transformational, that they would feed our souls with just what we needed to hear this morning. So God, I pray that you take, take this message, apply it to each and every one of us just that the point where we need 
to hear it and to respond. And I, I pray for the power and the might of the Holy Spirit to be at work here in each man and woman's, each child, each young person's heart today. And that today would be the day of salvation if, if there is someone here who is not ready for the coming of the Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.